Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our next episode in Genesis. And like the first few episodes, this one is probably familiar to you. We are in Genesis 4 today, which is the story of Cain and Abel. It's the story of the first murder, highlighting the first dysfunctional family. As we've talked through the first three chapters, we've carefully noted what we can learn about God's character. Now we're going to do the same thing today, but we're also going to take a close look at Cain's character. So let's get started and read the first five verses found in Genesis chapter four. Now, the man knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I gained a man through the Lord. And she bore again, his brother, Abel. And Abel was a herder of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And it happened, at the end of a span of days, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, he also brought an offering of the firstlings of his sheep, of their fat pieces. And the Lord looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but upon Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And Cain burned greatly with anger. And his face fell. All right, so we learn a few things about this setting. We'll start with the very first word, the word now. Now this word is used all through Genesis to cue the reader that we're going to a new section in this overall narrative. We cannot make assumptions about what happens between the sections. We don't know how much time has passed since Adam and Eve left the garden. We really don't know if Adam and Eve have already had other kids. We just know that Adam and Eve had Cain and then Abel. And we learn that Abel takes on the occupation of a shepherd and Cain takes on the occupation of a farmer. But let's back up just a bit and look at Eve's response to the birth of Cain. Most translations say Adam knew his wife. And we recognize that as a Hebrew euphemism for sexual relations. It says he knew her and she conceived, so it's pretty clear what that means. Then Eve is quoted saying, I gained a man through the Lord. And the word translated gained in Hebrew, this word rhymes with Cain in Hebrew. It could mean gain, acquire, make, or create, and different translations use different synonyms. But it's clear in the Hebrew and kind of in the English that Cain and gain rhyme. And then Eve gives God glory here. She gained a man through the Lord, or some translations say with the help of the Lord. Now, the Hebrew doesn't really indicate that God's help was needed for conception. It's clear this is not a divine pregnancy. It's more a sense of God has enabled or allowed for this blessing. Now, after all, Eve's been kicked out of the garden and her relationship with God isn't what it originally was. So, 
I think she's recognizing that bringing a son into the world is a blessing. So we know that Cain is born, and then we're told Abel was born. And some think perhaps they were twins, because the writer doesn't declare that another son is conceived. I don't see clear evidence either way, so this is one of those details we just don't know. What we do know is that both sons grow up and eventually, after a span of days, bring an offering. Now, when did God institute a system of offerings? Did he communicate expectations for those offerings? We don't know. But the writer seems to not feel that this additional information is important, so he doesn't tell us. The fact is, both brothers brought an offering from their work. So let's ponder this for a moment. Why would they bring an offering to God? Or how about we ask this question? Should we be bringing offerings to God? Now, before we get too far, the offerings of the Old Testament are very different from the offerings that we would bring to God today. But the bottom line is an offering honors God. It keeps us focused on what he's done for us. There's no way we could ever repay him or give him enough offerings to account for all he's done for us. No way we could ever appropriately match our blessings from him. But faithful giving of an offering is something we have to sacrifice. It honors God. And it puts us in the rightful place of the grateful receiver of his blessings. So in this story, we know that God's response was to accept Abel's and reject Cain's. We aren't told exactly why Cain was rejected, but there was something about his offering and possibly his attitude in giving that is what God found unacceptable. If you flip over to the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews actually references this story, and he says the following about Cain and Abel. This is Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God, testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So there's clearly a difference in the quality of the two offerings given by these brothers. Now, Cain did bring an offering from his work. Verse 3 says he brought fruit of the ground, so he offered God a portion of his produce. But either he offered less than the best or less than what was required or did it with the wrong attitude or some combination of these things, we don't know. We only know that God did not look with favor on it. Now, we can compare that to Abel. Abel also brought from his work. Remember, he's a shepherd. So Abel brings the fat portions of the firstling of his sheep. Now the fat portions, of course, are the most desirable. And the first of his flock to be born will be the most sacrificial. You see, he's willing to give up the first and the best as an offering to God, trusting that God will still provide for him. So we can gather that Abel's heart and actions are right with God. And God looks with favor on him in his offering, but not on Cain. And so how does Cain respond? Well, we read he burned with anger. Have you ever burned with anger? I think many people can identify with this. And even if your anger was short-lived, 
Most of us have experienced some kind of burning anger. But what about being angry with God? I was in sixth grade when my family experienced several losses of people that we loved dearly. It was just a really difficult year. When my aunt passed away, I was particularly angry because she had overcome so much in life and she was finally on her way to building a healthy life and healthy relationships and she died. I was sad, but I was also really angry that God didn't answer my prayers to heal her. It felt so unfair and I just couldn't understand why he wouldn't give her the healing she needed to continue on the right path. I'm being totally honest. I was angry at God. We'd already lost a friend to suicide, a neighbor in a car crash, a baby had died of SIDS, and my brother's school teacher had passed from cancer. My aunt just seemed too much to bear. And I remember feeling that anger burn inside me. People get angry and they get angry at God for all kinds of reasons. And in this story, Cain is angry with God because God rejects his offering. God accepts his brothers, but rejects his. That's the cause of his anger. What must have been going on in Cain's heart for him to respond this way? And it's crazy because Cain gets a chance to make it right with God. Here's the next few verses. I'll start in verse 6 and listen to the opportunity that God gives him. And the Lord said to Cain, Why does it make you burn with anger? And why has your face fallen? If you mean well... Will your face not be lifted up? And if you do not mean well, at the door crouches sin. Toward you is his longing, and it is you who must rule over him. And Cain said to his brother Abel, And it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. God asks him, Why are you angry? And then essentially says, if you do what you're supposed to do, you'll be pleased. Or as the Hebrew phrase is it, your face will be lifted up. And God then warns Cain, at the door crouches sin. Toward you is his longing, and it's you who must rule over him. And oh, what a lesson this is for all of us. Sin is always crouching, always longing to rule over us. We must be aware of this and strive to rule over the sin. We don't get Cain's response, if he had one, at least not his response to God. But this would have been the time for Cain to repent and to offer God a more acceptable offering. But the next thing we see is Cain saying something to Abel. Genesis doesn't give us exactly what he said, but it results in both brothers heading out in a field together. And in verse 8, the first murder occurs. And again, I'm left wondering what was going on in Cain's heart. He's angry enough to kill his own brother. This is not the only place the Bible mentions Cain. A few minutes ago, I read the verse in Hebrews that speaks to Cain's sacrifice. And there are other passages in the New Testament that also reference the story. In 1 John 3, 11 and 12, John contrasts these two brothers and says, For this is the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not like Cain, who is of the evil one, and brutally murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, but his brothers 
were righteous. Did you catch that John said Cain was of the evil one and that his deeds were evil? Cain had heard firsthand from his parents about God. Imagine the dinnertime stories that Adam could have told his kids. He grew up in a family that had an intimate relationship with God, and Cain himself had conversations with God, and yet he gave his heart to sin. Cain is also mentioned in Jude 1.11, where in reference to ungodly men who are within the church but have denied the gospel of Christ, Jude says, Woe to them, for they have traveled down Cain's path. And because of greed, have abandoned themselves to Balaam's error. Hence, they will certainly perish in Korah's rebellion. So I realize there's a reference to Balaam and Korah as well as Cain in that verse. But let's focus on the reference to Cain. Essentially, Jude is warning these believers who received his letter about a group of men who are like Cain. They've traveled his path, which is not a path of God. So back to our story. Cain murders Abel and then has a second conversation with God. Let's pick up in verse 9. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cried out to me from the ground. So now cursed are you by way of the ground, which gaped wide her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. If you work the ground, no longer shall she give her strength to you. A trembler and a wanderer shall you be upon the earth. God finds Cain and asks Cain a question. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned and then hid? God asked them a series of questions. It's a pattern that I think reveals something to us about God. He doesn't start the conversation when we've sinned, accusing the sinner of the sin. He starts by opening the dialogue with a question that allows the sinner to confess. And Adam sort of confessed, but really just blame shifted, and Eve did the same. And now Cain flat out lies and shirks his responsibility as the older brother. Can you imagine his heart condition? To be willing to say flippantly to the God of the universe, am I my brother's keeper? I, I can't imagine. God invites us to confess, not because he doesn't know what we've done wrong, but because he's compassionate enough to allow us the opportunity to recognize our own errors. And right away, God responds with, I already know your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And this is, of course, metaphorical and poetic, but it's important because the ground is the source of Cain's work and the ground will be part of his punishment. Remember, Cain's a farmer. He works the ground to produce goods. And so as a consequence to his sin, the murder of his brother, whose blood was spilled on the ground of a field, God says, you are cursed by the ground, and no longer will you be able to produce from it. Instead, God says Cain will tremble and wander. Now, I've been reading today 
from a translation found in a book called Genesis 1-11, through a new old translation for readers, scholars, and translators by Samuel Bray and John Hobbins. Most translations don't use the word trembler here, but these authors make a good case for why that's a good representation of the Hebrew. So imagine how Cain is feeling about this curse and his new assignment to tremble and wander. And here is his response. And Cain said to the Lord, My iniquity is too weighty to be forgiven. See, you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I must hide, and I shall be a trembler and a wanderer upon the earth. And so it will happen. Everyone who comes upon me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, everyone who kills Cain, sevenfold vengeance shall be taken upon him. And so the Lord granted Cain a sign, lest everyone who came upon him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the face of the Lord and dwelt in the land of wandering east of Eden. Now there are a couple of interesting things about Cain's response. First, Cain makes a statement that can be translated two different ways. He either says, my punishment is too great for me to bear, Or what he's saying is, my sin is too great to be forgiven. This is one of those sticky areas of translation where either could be correct, and even an expert in Hebrew linguistics could see it both ways. But here's what I notice. His response is all about him. He's not remorseful of his offense toward God. He's not remorseful that he's killed his brother. He only sees this as a problem now for himself. And this sentiment is reinforced in his next sentence. He's worried that he will be killed now that he's banished to wander. Wait a minute. Cain's worried someone will kill him because he has to live with the consequences of killing his own brother? Well, that seems a bit ironic, don't you think? Cain's heart is so far away from the heart of God. And yet look at God's response. And so the Lord granted Cain a sign so that anyone who came on him would not kill him. He declares that if anyone does kill Cain, he'll be avenged seven times. That's some pretty serious protection God offers Cain. So let's recap. Cain offers God a sacrifice, but it's not appropriate or pleasing. Cain gets angry. God compassionately asks Cain why and gives him some advice about overcoming sin. Cain responds and calls his brother to a field and kills him. God asks Cain, where's your brother? Again, opening the door for confession and conversation. Cain lies and gets belligerent. God calls Cain out, already knowing the truth. God gives Cain his consequence for a sin, and Cain responds by worrying about himself and being afraid someone will do to him what he's done to his brother. God marks Cain to protect him. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Remember how when Adam and Eve were receiving their consequences from their sin and the Lord said a seed would come from Eve who would crush the head of the serpent? I think we can safely say that Cain is not that seed. Cain gives in to sin. And then we get this verse where we see that Cain leaves the land of Eden and heads east. And the translation I read said, Then Cain went out from the face of the Lord and dwelt in the land of wandering east of Eden. Cain leaves the face of the Lord. 
and most translations say he went out to the land of Nod, but Nod literally means wandering, so this translation is also accurate. And what a sad story this is for Cain. Now we'll pick up next time with what Cain does in this land, but for now, let's just really sit on a few things we know for sure from what we read today. We know for sure that offerings can be unacceptable or acceptable to God. We know for sure that sin crouches and seeks to rule over us. We know for sure that God is compassionate and invites us to confess. We know for sure that even when we are at our very worst, most selfish, murderous, unrepentant, and belligerent, God doesn't change. He remains loving and compassionate. But we also know that sin has consequences. And these are the important things that we can take when we read this biblical narrative. Do we know how exactly Cain killed Abel? Do we know if they were twins? Do we know who Cain was worried would kill him? Was it his other siblings? Were there people outside the garden other than Adam and Eve's family? No, we don't know the answers to any of these questions, and that's okay. The writer of Genesis wasn't inspired to give us every detail. We are presented with the story as a part of the Hebrew origin story, and the focus is on the development of a family that will turn into a nation and their relationship to God. And knowing God is more important than settling all the details our curiosity might question. So let's instead take to heart this lesson from Cain. Let's commit to bringing God our very best. Let's commit to being willing to admit to God when we're wrong. He already knows anyway. Let's commit to be gracious toward those who wrong us, just like God is gracious toward us. And let's commit to watch carefully for the desire of sin to rule over us. Our God is a generous, loving, compassionate God of second chances. Let's follow his path and not the path of Cain. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.